This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Hauser and Portia Hensley. Today, we are bringing you episode 22 of Women in a Day podcast. I'm Portia Hensley, joined by Jenny Hauser and a very special guest, Sandra Began. At 40, Sandra lost her husband to suicide and her world as she knew it ended. After almost losing herself in her grief, she gave away most of her belongings and moved her two young boys from Wisconsin to Connecticut to a town where she knew only one other person. Six years later, Sandra and her boys are living a beautiful life again. Sandra Began shares her real and raw life stories on hope, widowhood, parenting, mental health awareness, resilience, grief, living an authentic life, and surviving the death of a loved one by suicide. She is a writer, runner, lover of yoga, and enjoys living a mile from the beach and a train ride away from New York City. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Sandra. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Sandra, tell us how the Widow Project started, and you can go back to however far back you need. Sure, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I can. My my husband died um, by suicide six years ago, and I was living in a town of about eighty thousand people. We were both pretty well known in the community. We both grew up there. We met in college, college sweethearts. And it was really the first suicide that was really out in the public because we had young children. We knew a lot of people. So this world of mine was kind of on display. But I never had anyone to talk to. I had a widow friend, a friend of of ours had died the month before. So I had someone that was right in a new widow, but I never had another widow whose husband died by suicide with children to to talk to. So um, fast forward a few years, I moved out to Connecticut and I just decided that I needed to start, I was writing a lot, journaling a lot, and I needed to share how I was feeling and what I had learned because I thought I couldn't find this on the internet. I couldn't find, you know, someone that was like me and going through the same experience. And I felt that that it was kind of my duty to to start writing and start posting. So a, a few years back, I started it. I would, I would post something um, on a blog called The Widow Project. And actually, the crazy thing is I was... Back then, I was drinking a lot in my grief, and um, I was drinking a bottle called the Pinot Project, and I looked at it, and I'm like, well, I guess that's going to be the name. I'm calling it the Widow Project. So I actually <laughs> kept that bottle. My kids were like, Mom, you have to keep that bottle the Widow Project on it. So it's kind of like this epic thing in our home, and I just thought if I would have someone to say, this is, this is where you're going, this is what might happen, this is what how you might be feeling. This is how your kids might be feeling. I couldn't find that and I just needed it. So I thought, well, I'm going to do it for someone else. I don't know if anyone's going to read this. I don't know, you know, it might freak people out, but I'm doing it. So I started a blog. I would write maybe every three months, four months. Mm -hmm. And back then I was really writing for myself, but I mean, I was writing for someone else, but it was, you can see the progression from my blog to now my Instagram page where it was pretty dark and really, really raw. And I would let it fly and I would post it on Facebook and then I would have all these comments back. And 
the comments were just too much for me to handle. People were saying really amazing and lovely things and supportive things, but it was just, it took too much energy for me to respond. So it was kind of like I had to write it, put it out in the universe and then walk away from it. So that's how the widow project started. The blog started. Then I actually wrote something. It was, I called it the backpack and it was the story or the essay of, um, it was last June and it was my son's, my oldest son's last day of high school. And my son actually truly carried the same backpack from kindergarten through his senior year in high school. It was a blue North face backpack. He got as a gift. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, um, it just, I saw him, I took a picture of him and he walked out the door and I, it, I just, I'm like, I have to write something right now because I just looked at him walk out the door and I thought, my God, how far you've come. And, and that backpack traveled on your back when you went back to school after your dad died. It traveled on your back when I told my kids we're, we're going to try to move out to Connecticut and start over and, and it was on the plane with us. That backpack traveled all through Jack's life and it was kind of this very meaningful thing. So I wrote that. You know, I, I actually said, okay, I, I, I don't know if you know of Option B, Cheryl Sandberg. She's the COO of Facebook and started this website, Option B, because after she lost her husband, she started a, a website where it talks about resilience and, and, and people share their stories there. And she wrote a book called Option B. So I thought, okay. And people said, oh, Sandra, you're a good writer. I'm like, no, 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 no. I've, you know, I have a fine Instagram. I'm not, I'm not a good writer. And um, I submitted the backpack and they posted it. And oh, wow. I thought, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, well, well, wow. I'm going to tell my sister. <laughs> I'm like kind of excited. <laughs> tell my kids. Oh, you know, this option B post, like they shared it. So in October, I was actually coming out of the YMCA. That's where I work out. And I was talking to my son and he's like, mom, you know, I really think you should start writing more. And the one in college. And I said, okay, well, maybe I should try on Instagram because maybe I can use, use hashtags. I'm learning all this you know, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could use a hashtag, right, Jack? And he's like, well, yeah, that's what you do, mom. Like it, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm, I'm learning. Um, so I, he said, well, go on Instagram. I'm going to show you how to do it. And I'm going to show you how to start this page. So I open, I click on Instagram. I can tell you I'm sitting in my car and I, you know how you open up Instagram and it's the first picture that you see. Yes. Um, on when you open it up, it's in your feed and it is a picture of my son, Jack, and it's the option B page, and it, it's the backpack essay. And they posted wow. it. They shared it on Instagram. Oh, wow. And I almost dropped the phone. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, oh, my God. And I said, Jack, this, they just posted this. They didn't tell me they were doing this. So he's like, well, you have to go and, and um, you know, have them attach. A- I'm, I'm learning all this Instagram stuff on the phone with my 18-year-old, right? As, as So he's like, Mom, you really, that's a sign. You have to start posting your stuff on Instagram. So I created this page. I started posting and, um, I, I post maybe every, now I use Instagram most as my blog and I, I have connected with widows around the world. I have had one of the most meaningful emails that I received, um, was a man from Sweden who privately sent me an email and said, my best friend died by suicide six months ago. And I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to help, help his wife. My wife, he's like, my wife and I don't know what to do. And she started this, the, the widow is starting to, you know, not want to talk to us. And he's like, is it us? And I responded and I have had widows privately DM me. I've had 
family members of people who are, you know, their maybe their sister is husband died or something, but it has opened up a whole new world for me, just helping other people. But I have to be honest, I feel for the first time that I am not alone, that I've met other women met on Instagram um, and who have contacted me and just say, you know what, I just want to thank you for what you're writing because my husband died by suicide too. We're, I'm in the same situation. And I don't have anyone to talk to about this. So that's how my writing began. <laughs> I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm just going with it because I, I really know if I can just make one person maybe not have that like painful, painful moment and day that I have had and suffered through and my children have suffered through, then I know I'm doing something. I think that's huge. And I think your story, you know, it really does sort of encapsulate all the things that are so challenging with not just the death of a loved one, but with suicide and with children, you know, that often the people who are suffering the most, they don't know what the right thing is to do. And they shouldn't have to. But for those around them that want to help, it's it can be so challenging to know where they are. So I think for people to have someone that they can reach out to who is willing to have those honest, open conversations is probably so huge. Well, enough people are, are private, but it's also just very painful. I actually gave this speech. I was asked to give this speech back in Wisconsin, and I hadn't been there in a couple of years. And the boys and I flew back, and I started seeing a counselor like literally a counselor came into my home two days after my husband died. I had told my kids on a Friday that their dad had died, but I did not know how to tell them it was suicide. And my my friend and my sister called every person they knew in connections and said, is there someone that can help her tell her boys? I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how much information to give them. They were nine and 12 years old. I mean, I was in shock. They were in shock. My, my husband, I, he had OCD. He suffered from anxiety. I know that, but I didn't know how deep his depression was. And it was, I think it was just a shock to the community because here's that guy that everyone was like, Patrick is the guy you would call if you needed help. Patrick was the guy that always had the smile on his face. Patrick was the, you know, the soccer coach that would give someone his shoes if the, the, the boy didn't have it. So it was a shock. And it, I mean, it was just pure chaos. So this counselor came in and helped me. And then I started seeing a counselor after that. So fast forward. So last year I, I flew into back to Wisconsin and I gave the speech to raise awareness tell my story and help raise money for this counseling center who help women in need. I gave this 25 minute speech. It's on YouTube. Um, I realized at, you know, at that moment that I needed someone said, well, are, are you going to cry? I'm like, I, I can't cry. Like I, I, when I give the speech, I have to say the story, but there's, it's bigger than that. It's not just the story. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are struggling. And if we don't talk about the real stuff and, and you know, be honest with problems that our children are having, if you can't ask someone else to go and get help, it, unfortunately, my husband couldn't ask for help in his own heart and mind. He couldn't ask for help. Right. And I just don't want, I, I just don't want that happening. So honesty, I think heals. I think honesty is power and more people need to talk about more things. Definitely. What kind of emotions were you going through during that time? I can imagine, but I'm curious to hear it from you. Those first weeks? Yeah. Um, 
I think the biggest thing was complete and utter fear. I remember laying in bed that night. It was a Friday night. And I laid um, in bed and I had my two kids sleep with me. And I didn't sleep. I, I really didn't. I remember the first time I slept a, compl- a, a full night. Um, he died in September. I know I didn't sleep through the night until the next May. And I slept on the floor. My kids ended up sleeping in my bed. Um, it, it was fear and complete terror because I didn't know what, what just happened. I thought, oh, my God, like this, our, our life is over. Um, I thought, I don't know how much suffering and how, how he was suffering. And I didn't know it. And if he can suffer and hide it, everyone else could suffer and hide it. And that could happen. And it was chaos and complete fear. Were you scared for your boys? Yes. Yeah. I think that um, being honest and, and writing about things too, I have a fear for them. I, I had a bigger fear for them and I don't have it anymore. Hmm. Because I know I've done my job. I know that I have, I, I know moving here saved us. It, it gave us a fresh start. How long after his death did you start to think that that may be something you needed to explore? I can tell you um, it, it was May. It was kind of around his birthday. His birthday is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. So it's always hard to have someone's, you know, that you love. Their birthday is on a national holiday. It's kind of a hard one. It was that around that time, and his my, my friend Rachel lives in New York. She she flew in, and we went out for dinner. And um, she asked me, like, she was asking me some questions. And it's kind of the first time I went out. Um, I, I really didn't go out much. I just, uh, like, I would burst into tears in Target, and I'd have to leave. I would go to a basketball game with my kids, and people would walk up to me. And, and I would, I was not in control of my emotions. So we went out for dinner. And she, I could just tell she just wanted to ask questions. They grew up together and she was really more of his friend. And we were talking and she finally said, you know, can I ask? I'm like, you can ask anything. Like I said, no one has actually asked me much since Pat died. No one has had the courage because I think they think they're going to hurt me when actually I just need to talk about him. But no one really talked about him. And it was like this taboo, like some of his friends stopped talking to me because they were afraid they looked, maybe they would do it. Like, it's just, yeah. it's a very strange thing. Do you think that people started to treat you and your sons differently? Almost Absolutely. like, well, this is, this happened to their family and what else is going on or. Absolutely. Oh, oh, <laughs> well, that was part of the conversation too with, with Rachel. Um, so I said, okay, I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me what people are telling you, what's going on and I, and what they think, why. And I also want you to tell me, what what happened like that day and so she's like okay this is what I've heard and she lives in New York so it's all through you know Facebook phone calls whatever and she tells me everything and I had heard from other people too like uh, I mean I had been asked um, by a family member if I was having an affair the day that he died um, I've been was asked if he was a drug addict um, I was asked um, it was like there were stories, all of these stories about him and about me, and none of them were true. And I realized when she said everything, I finally looked at her and I said, Rachel, the only thing you got right was that he died. Mm-hmm. Not one thing that you just told me. He didn't die there. He didn't. 
that didn't happen. Nope. She, she didn't call that person and tell that person. This is not the story. And I really, really at that moment too, big life lesson is unless you hear it directly from someone, nothing is ever true. Right. Everyone spins it. Everyone hears it how they want to hear it. Everyone needs an answer. With mental health, there is no answer. There's never an answer. It's plain and simple is that person is sick. And I think you really touched on it when you spoke about, you know, your own fear. I think hearing about things like this that happen, it strikes such a deep, deep fear in other people. Yes. That they don't think clearly. And it probably makes people really less aware that, you know, what they're looking at is a woman and two kids who just had the most horrific thing happen to them. Yes. Yes. And, and so, you know, you asked me when I decided to move that at that moment, I knew that I would not stay there. I knew that I could not raise my children there because they were the boys whose dad killed himself. I was the one who was like, it was like I was wearing a scarlet letter in this Midwest town. I'm serious. (laughs) Wow, I can imagine. And um, I just, that was May the next year. I mean, I was was depressed. I was dying on the vine. I was... um, my two, my best friend is a doctor and she finally looked at me and she said, she's like, you need to go get some help. No, you know, a lot of people didn't want to talk about, oh, you're drinking a lot. You're, you're, you've lost 30 pounds. You're, you're like, I mean, honestly, it's like people don't know what to do and I don't fault people, but I was dying inside and she helped me. She's like, you need to go see your doctor. You need to, you need help. Um, I started seeing a counselor twice a week. I started going to yoga every day and that's really all I could manage. And I just took care of my children and it happened the next year. I all, all of a sudden too, on holidays and different things, I started to take the boys and we'd leave. And I always, I'd be like, okay, we're going to go visit this person for Christmas. We're going to leave. I did anything to get out of that space. Yeah. And I realized that I was leaving all the time and I'd get back on the plane to go home, go back to Wisconsin and I would sob because I'm like, I can't go back there. Oh, I'm sure it, it just felt me. suffocating. Yeah. It was suffocating. And it was honestly, <laughs> I still remember this. So, you know, it's freezing out. Yeah. You know, out in the East Coast here, it's like 10 degrees, but, you know, below zero. And it was a day like today, but it was snowing. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of the Walgreens talking to my friend. And I, I mean, I was just sobbing. And I'm like, I can't live here anymore. It had been below zero for 40 days it had snowed for 40 days and i i just said i not only can i not live here because of all this other stuff i am going to die here because of the weather and um (laughs) at that moment i i that night i still remember it was snowing my oldest son was in eighth grade he came home from a basketball tournament and i looked at him and i said are you okay to consider moving and at first he was like i don't think i want to do that because you know, our family and friends and our community. And then he, he went upstairs and he came back down and he said, I don't want to always feel like people stare at us. People walk by when my other son's name is Charlie, when we're shooting hoops outside and people walk by and they stare at us. They don't say hi, but they stare. And he's like, I don't want to be that kid. Yeah. So I said, okay, we're going to try. And I said, please just, can we give it a year? Can we just try? And he was going into high school and it was kind of like that moment. Like, yeah, it's a good natural break to, it was a natural break. Yeah. 
So one was going to be a ninth grader. The other one was going into sixth grade. And I literally, I did, I gave away most of my possessions because I'm also, I have to tell you, I'm a very visual person and everything around me reminded me of my old life. And it was, it was killing me too. It was so hard. I, I painted my kitchen white. I, I started to do all these things and I'm like, it's not the surroundings that need to change. I need, I need to leave and I need to change. So I literally looked at a map of the United States and I figured out, okay, here are a couple places on the East and West coast where I have one friend and I, my friend Rachel and I'm another friend in New York city. And I asked both of them, I think I would move out to the East coast. It's pretty out there. Where am I going to move? And they said different cities, of course, not Manhattan. They're like, your kids are going to be swallowed up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Manhattan. But I thought about it. Um, but they both said Fairfield, Connecticut. And I looked at it. I flew out in a snowstorm. I came. I saw a Starbucks, the school, and the beach. I got back on the train and went back into New York City. And I said, all right, that's where we're moving. How did and your kids take it? Um, they. I brought them back out a couple of months later. They were okay with it. But I'm not going to tell you it was great and in the beginning. But they also knew. I was like, we just have to try. Like, I just said, please, just 12 months. We just have to try. So we flew out in July. They started school in August. And kind of the rest is history. And I'm sure just making that change and what an empowering thing to do for them to give them the control of the narrative, you know, that they could meet people and tell the story in their own words. And I'm sure that was huge. Yes. And the other thing is, like, you know, I, I, I remember going to see my counselor, and I, I did. I cried when I told him. And he's like, I've been waiting for you to say that to me. And I think one of the most powerful lines, I, I think someday I'm going to write a book. And <laughs> this is one of the most powerful things he's ever that some human ever said to me. He said, Sandra, you're not running away. You're running too. Yeah. And... I, I was running to, I was running to peace and calm and freedom and a new space and looking at new things. And I live a mile from the beach and I just, I walk to the beach every day and I was looking, I just needed, I needed chaos, all the stuff around me to disappear. So I could just focus on myself and those two boys and for us to heal. So you were grieving yourself and yes. You're also a mother to two boys who've just lost their father. So you, yes. you're in this situation where you have to care for them as well. How did you balance that? I realized, I look back now, is I removed everything from my life. I removed people because I only had the energy to truly take care of them and to help myself heal. So for a few years, even moving here, I stopped working the day my husband died. You know, the other thing that I'm going to say this because no one wants to talk about this either. Life insurance is a savior. (laughs) And um, my husband and I, when our kids were born, we planned well. And that gave me the freedom to move. It gave me the freedom to get therapy to not have to work, to be here when they needed help and emotional support. So I'm six years out and I, I, I tried to go back to work and then something happens. And I'm like, nope, not the right time yet. I still need to be here. I can't I imagine dealing with that and not having that peace of mind. I'm sure it's just 
uh, beyond a nightmare to it is and and you know i feel very very i feel very grateful that i i financially can stay home with these kids and and this these past six years i truly look at it as a it took me six years to heal a lot of things changed a lot of of um you know i just had to i i worked out a lot i went to counseling um i'd walk I would take care of them and it would be like rinse and repeat. Like that was my life for a couple of years. Cause that's really all I can manage. Um, I kept, I keep it really simple. We, we don't have a lot of possessions. Like my kids are either going to be hoarders when they get older, <laughs> <laughs> or they are going to be so minimalist because <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't need that. Let's move on. Let's that t-shirt's too small. It's gone. Like I, I realized too, I had a very big house. I couldn't manage it. I, I, we moved into a, a small, a brand new, it was lovely, but a duplex. And, and they too were like, is this our new life? Like all of, like a lot of changes. And a lot of people would, would, would die for it, for what I have. But everyone's situation is different. And I just feel very fortunate because I can't imagine that. I mean, women who have husbands that are main breadwinner and, and they don't have life insurance. They are looking at I mean, a hardship, a hard life that no one acknowledges either. So I acknowledge right. that. Right. How often do you talk to your boys about your uh, husband and suicide in particular? We talk about it. Um, I mean, every day it, it comes up. It's, it's interesting. The first couple of years, um, I had a really hard time. I'm telling you that I'm, I'm really <laughs> sharing a lot. Um, Thank you for that doing I, that, yeah, by the way. I haven't said before, but I think it needs to be said. Um, I, when we moved, I kept all, I kept all of his pictures packed away. I had one picture and I just, it hurt so bad to look at it. It caused me so much pain and I saw a pain in his eyes and I couldn't, I, I, it took me years to, to look at him again. I know that sounds crazy, but it's not crazy. My kids had pictures in their rooms, but we didn't have pictures all over of him because it was this life that I, 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 it was like this life blew up and I was just trying to find my way and it hurt too bad. We, we talked about him and we always, always talked about mental health. We would sit down and talk about things. I would explain things to them. They went to counseling. I, I look at these two children and I, I look at what they've gone through, but I also look at them. My biggest thing is, I want them to feel so secure with who they are that that their that moment and that illness of their father doesn't define them and it doesn't define their dad. And I just want them to just be empathetic, kind human beings. Yeah. And I know I just know that my two children are going to be amazing partners, husbands, you know, whoever they end up with, if they do, they're gonna be if they have children, I know they're gonna be amazing fathers because of what they went through. Do you feel like after you moved and you started to share more honestly, did you have people from your old life reach out to you or when you moved, was it really sort of like you cut ties in a major way? No, you know, the people that knew me and knew the boys and I and supported us are our, our dear friends who are still there. They were like, you need to go you'll, you'll die here. You will not survive here. They know that. I mean, there are a few people that have never wavered and some people surprisingly, and everyone talks about this, but it really does happen is people that you think are your friends 
they're, they disappear. They either cannot get it and say, well, aren't you just going to, you know, come and join us for a glass of wine? Like my husband died three months ago. I can hardly get out of bed. And these two kids are, are in serious, like drowning in grief. And you think I'm just going to go back to the old Sandra. Like she's gone. And yeah. that life is gone. So you find, and, and one thing that I really have realized over, you know, just as time goes on, people gradually disappear a little bit. And, and people also are there, I believe, in certain parts of your life. You're there for people and they're there for you. And I have had people come into my life that are my biggest cheerleader and are my biggest support. And it's because something happened to them too. And I want to do that for people. And I honestly, too, I only want to be around positive people. Life's hard enough. Why am I going to be around people that, oh, that's, you know, Sandra, that's uncomfortable that you're saying that. Well, if if you can't listen to this or, or acknowledge who I am now, then, you know, you and I just won't be friends anymore because I'm not going to keep my mouth shut about something that's my truth. And it's my life and it's these kids' lives. And we're not going to pretend that, that this didn't happen. So... Things have shifted. Friends have shifted. I was off Facebook for a couple of years, and I just remember I went back on and I posted a picture of, of us being in Fairfield. And I only post one like every six months on, on my private page because it's just it's just a lot, and it's just of how the boys are growing, and the amount of love and support of their their former teachers, my husband's friends. Um, I mean, people have come out of the woodwork in, in a good way, and. I've let the ones that, that don't want me to change or, or have a hard time with, with Pat's death or whatever, and I've just let them go away because, I mean, what else are you going to do? This is such a huge struggle for people who go through this, Sandra, but what advice do you have for people? I'm trying to think. You must have had to do a lot of work to reconcile the person that you knew your husband to be because you didn't know about his depression um, no. what, what do you say to people? What would you say to someone who is also having to relive fond memories and, you know, for their kids of someone while also yes. kind of struggling with that? Um, it's taken me a long time, um, because I was so angry. I, oh my God, I was angry. I had rage for years and I know that's why I, I struggled with, with my own depression after he died. And, you know, I've, I've had people say to me, well, don't you feel guilty? I'm like, Guil- guilty for what? Like, uh, yeah. For what? What? Because I loved him? And, and because he was a lovely human being? And because he was sick? Do you, you just, you're telling my friend whose husband just died from cancer? Are you, do you feel guilty? Like, it's, it's, I think you have to come to a place of peace. You have to come to a place of, I always, you know, I say to people, I have like this angel on one shoulder and this devil on the other. And this angel is my place of compassion for him and his struggles and what he was must've been going through. And this devil is like, why didn't you ask for help? And, and you know, at, you go through it too. Like, was I not enough? Um, it's not that like your brain can be sick. It's an organ, just like your heart, just like your, your, your lungs, just like what, you know, and if you look at it that way, that's, I'm never going to have, I'm never going to completely have peace with, with what happened, but I think I'm there 
far enough. I think my kids and I have come to and say, you know what, like maybe, maybe he was only given 41 years on this earth and maybe him, you know, dying and us moving out here led us to a different life. And, and maybe we're all supposed to do something with that. I don't, I don't know. Um, but you do, you have to, you, you have to reconcile that deep down he was a human being. He was a lovely, loving man. And he wasn't perfect. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you were still married to him after all. You knew. <laughs> I was married to him, okay? Um, there were plenty of times. Like, it's funny because people will say things about their husbands and then they'll kind of look at me like sh- like sheepishly like, oh, God, I shouldn't be saying this. I'm like, what are you talking about? He was just like that. Yeah, like they're not allowed to complain like, to you. Not to complain. Like, I mean, there are certain things don't complain about. But I'm like, really? He would do that, too. Like, he was human. I'm human. Was I, you know, it's it's just coming to a sense of maybe understanding and just saying, this is what happened. But that, again, that illness does not define them. Cancer doesn't define someone, you know, we're going to look at all of our girlfriends that are struggling with breast cancer. That doesn't define you. Right. That doesn't, that doesn't say that you're a good person or a bad person. I think that, that mental illness and suicide immediately, well, you know, if it's a child, well, what were the parents like? They're bad people, that kid, blah, blah, blah. The wife, I'm, I'm the one that's having an affair. What is the reason? There is no reason, plain and simple. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody whose friend was in your situation what what do you think what is the right way to react obviously not creating rumors about you but what would be the most compassionate best way um i can say this because i have i have a few friends and my sister who have done this for me they have never judged me they have never questioned my decisions um they have sat and listened to the same story either me screaming it and crying through it or dropping f-bombs through it or quietly saying it it could be the same story but it's how i am that day it's just being there and i truly think it's the no judgment because they have no idea the pain that and so the people, my advice would be, you have no idea this depth of pain that this person is going through. And it's not just pain of losing someone. It's pain of their past. It's pain of their future, of not having a future that they thought. It's pain of their children's pain that they carry. It's everything. So how can we judge and assume we know anything about it? I don't. I, that's the best advice I can give. That's great advice. Do you feel like you, when you go into a new relationship, do you feel like you connect with people differently? I know you said you choose people who are more positive to be around, but yes. do you feel like you're a very different person in your relationships now? Absolutely. Um, I find that <laughs> um, I keep my, my circle really tight. I, I'm, I'm much more relaxed. Little things don't bother me. Um, you know, I have two, I have a son that freshman in college. I have a son that's a freshman in high school. You know, I'm around a lot of people. That's all they can talk about is they have to get, you know, our kids have to get straight A's. Our kids have to go to the best colleges. Our kids have to do this. 
it's hard for me to be around because instead I say, well, is your kid mentally healthy? Right. Have you taught them enough? If they go off to college, do they have the tools? Have you, have you, have you given them the tools if they're struggling to know what to do? Um, I just look at life really differently. Um, so I have to find people who look at life really differently too. And a lot of the people, like I said, have been through something because they live every day to the fullest. They live, I mean, I find joy in the simplest things. And I mean, truly that I'd never saw before. So in a way, my husband dying gave me a new, like, I look at it as a new life as well. I think that's hard to say, but it's the truth. On our last episode, we talked to Dr. Lisa Templeton, and she wrote a book called Letting It Be, Mindful Lessons mm-hmm. Toward Acceptance. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, we get opportunities to sort of build that muscle with little things throughout our day and throughout our yes. life. And I think just yes. the fact that you got it in such a big way, that would definitely change your perspective. I, I look at experiences. Um, I, 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 I have... I don't need a big house anymore. I don't need a fast car or any, like I never needed it, but I just, um, I keep things really simple, but I look at the moments that I have with my children and I look at the moments that I have with my friends and the simple, I mean, I know this sounds so, you know, cliche, but a, like truly laughing with someone, I, I can pause and appreciate it. That someone else can let, let, let joy and laughter like be just fill themselves and, and me too. And I think that when, when you don't have that perspective, maybe laughter doesn't come as easy anymore because you're too stressed or thinking about other things. So I kind of live more in the moment a little bit and enjoy the people that do too. That's cool. So we always ask our guests if um, they'll share with us the best piece of advice they've ever received. Can you think of one from you? That someone has given me? Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> putting me on the spot. Um, you know, I. that's a hard one. I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared for that no, one. No, okay. I think the advice that your therapist um, gave you was great advice, too, about knowing the difference between running away from something and running to someone. Yes. Yeah. I think that that, I mean, I truly look at that. And um, if you look at that, not just about your physical location, but you look at that with your relationships with people, maybe it's time to run away from, you know, you're, you're running away like a toxic family or you're running away an abusive relationship, you know, physically or mentally, or you're running away from um, not owning who you are and you're running to who, who you need to be a better life, um, more positive relationships. I think that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Hmm. That's beautiful. Sandra, what's it like to see your sons now as they're becoming true young men? Oh, and then you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) We're moms of boys too. So we get it. I, I know. I know. My tissue is ready. Um, you know, they are best friends. Um, it's a beautiful thing. I, I, you know, this may be a little off topic, but I'll, uh, then you might understand. But I worry about dying um, and because then they have no one. I mean, they have friends and, and some family, but 
I worry about that. So everything that I do is to make sure that they are capable mentally, emotionally, you know, do you know how to, do you know how to do your laundry? Simple things too. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, like you have to get into life skills, lots of life skills. Yeah. Um, but I am, I am at peace with that. If something would happen to me, because not only did I know I did my job, but I also know that they accepted it. I mean, they, they go through a lot too. People say some really, really bad things to them about my husband, their dad, or about our situation. I mean, there's a stigma out there. There's a stigma of, oh, you come from a single mom. Like they knew what it was like to have a married couple. Like this, this is just our, our society, right? Um, That's horrifying. It did. Yeah. It, it, oh my, I, I have so many things with that. Um, and it's horrifying for anyone that's single and raising children on their own because I look at them as, as like with a badge of courage and um, absolutely, you know, it's, just, it's society. But anyway, for them, I just I know that they own who they are, and I know that that they're not afraid to say, "No, my dad died," and people ask, "No, he died by suicide." It it might floor some adults, but they're confident with who he was and who they are and their story. And, um, I know that they're, you know, they're open to counseling. They talk to their friends about going to counseling. They're mature, just beautiful young boys, actually not young anymore. They're getting older. And I just know they're going to do beautiful things. And just the fact that they have had that experience, you have to think that at some point in their lives, they may have a friend who is struggling and knows, you know, I have this person that I can go to. And you know what? It's happened already. Really? And absolutely. Absolutely. They know also we are the safe place. Like if you, there's a friend that's struggling, I have I have helped more teenagers go and say to their parents, I need some help. And my son has too. And it's when you know that someone is, you know, standing in front of you that's been through a lot and you can really say anything to them. So the two things, too, is people will say to me, well, you're not going to believe this or this is going to shock you. I'm like, well, nothing shocks me. <laughs> and, and seriously, you have no idea. Nothing will shock me. And the other thing is I am a vault and my kids are, too. If you tell me something that that is is private, I will not repeat it because I know what it feels like on the other side, and they do too, to have everybody, to have thousands of people talking about you and talking about the wrong story. So I think those are two really, really powerful things, and it shows, especially in my children. Such a gift to the world. Yes. Truly. It really is. I'm Thank sure it's, I mean, it's so incredibly vulnerable of you to share your work, but oh my gosh, Sandra, I really hope that people hear what you're saying so I really thank you so much for putting this out there because it is so huge to be able to have these conversations and to hear from people like you it's it's huge yeah I think you're going to be impacting a lot of people thank you I I I do really um I know like I said if if I have one person that just says thank you you made me feel not so alone today or you helped me or whatever if that's what I'm doing with this then that's what I want to do because I, I couldn't find it. And, and, um, you know, and honestly, thank you for asking me. And I, I've listened to so many of your podcasts, especially the woman from Madison, Wisconsin, the, um, Oh, the hydrologist. The, the one 
the furlough. Yes. I'm from the university. I went to the University of Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> nice. So I listened to her and I just smiled through the whole thing. So, you should send her a um, message. She's got some time on her hands right now. She said she's <laughs> taking up baking, I but. Should. <laughs> I should. I should. Um, so, but what you're doing too, I, I think the other thing is, um, and this is what, what about your podcast, the people and the women that you interview they've done amazing things and they have done in their own, whatever their, their life and their field. And you're giving them, I think stories heal. I think stories are empowering. Um, so keep doing what you're doing because I mean, you're giving me a platform to say it out loud. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. That means a lot. Thank you, Sandra. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Sandra, for sharing your story with us. Um, I'm sure that more people are going to be interested in learning more about her so you can visit our website at womeninadaypodcast.com and to read about sandra's honest take on life and follow her instagram at the widow project she's got some really great posts there Uh, we follow her and then her blog is thewidowproject.com yes thank you so much sandra Thank you. It was great. Thank you. Oh, of course. And a huge thank you to Tony Tarbox, our editor extraordinaire. If you have a minute, please rate and review our podcast wherever you listen, because it really does help others find us. There are a lot of women-related podcasts, so it helps weed us out a little bit. Um, Or even better, tell a friend about Women in a Day. Thank you.